Women Flip the Script is different because women are actually making the recording themselves. So rather than somebody speaking on behalf of women, this time we've asked people to go out and record their own interviews, their own personal stories, their own clips of music, and now we've put it together so that women can speak for themselves. I know somebody will learn from my story. It's mad, I'm telling you. Any woman that finds herself in that situation, yeah. like, it is for you to flip it and use it to your advantage. I think it's really exciting to be using a podcast as audio connection so that women across the UK can literally speak to each other. Like, it's not just relying on written text. Now you can just plug in as you're going around your daily business and actually feel like you're connected with other women across the country. No, you say it. No, I say it. Okay. No, you don't. Okay, you say it. okay. Women flip the script. Ooh. Women flip the script. Women flip the script. Our final episode is one of reflection as we hear from two women who share their stories in and out of prison. These were recorded at home and you may hear some background noise throughout. Remember, you can read along as you listen by checking out our written booklets available from the Prison Advice and Care Trust. my personal experience through the prison system. I think for myself personally, the positives that I gained was a lot of insight, a lot of awareness that there are other people out there, people like myself, and there's people from all different walks of life. You don't have to be a criminal to actually be put in prison. You could just be a normal parent, a grandma, a mum, sister, wife, you know just a normal person and I think it's unfortunate that you end up meeting good people in these kinds of places and it's just I think for me it was just definitely an eye-opener because I definitely came from a more I would say privileged circle of people where I definitely led different type of lifestyle um, and I was definitely prejudiced with people who had any type of criminal involvement and I think it was a huge reality check for myself as well which is something I've definitely maintained to uphold as an experience for myself it's 100% shaped me differently as a person for the better I think so I definitely am in a really weird way thankful for my experience of going there because I think if I didn't go there I wouldn't be the person I am today and I wouldn't have met a lot of the people and I wouldn't have actually learned to be truly grateful for what I had and have and God willing will have in the future. And I think the harshest thing and the hardest thing for me to accept was I was free when I was in there due to a lot of things that I had experienced in my own personal life and the situations I had ended up in. I was for the first time in a long time actually free, which was... um. I found myself again, which was really weird as well. I think the lowest point for myself was that, um, and the whole thing I would have said before was the lowest point, but I genuinely think the lowest point for me was that I had my son and, and I moved to an open establishment and for about eight months, even though I was eligible, I still wasn't able to go and see him and he wasn't coming up to see me. 
and I would be promised that he would be coming and no one would bring him. This would happen every week for about two months. Um, and then in the space of eight months, I think I only saw him about three to four times. And I would get ready and then they would call on the day that we're not coming. They wouldn't let me know. So I'd be getting prepared for a whole week of what to like do with him, get for him and you know what I'm going to say to him. And I hope he remembers me. So I think what helped me overcome was my definitely religion for me. Um, I didn't have much. I didn't have friends. I had no friends visiting me at all. Nobody knew where I was. I didn't have the emotional support from people outside. Obviously, as friends don't know, and family. My mum was very hit and miss. Um, and my son's dad's family weren't very supportive emotionally like that. So for me, I would say the first thing was religion. I never gave up. And I believed that I would be seeing him. And I think the women who were around me, who I lived with, had been the biggest support that I could have ever asked for. And I was shocked that people who didn't know me, people who had no loyalties to me, like, and had no reason to help me, had gone above and beyond to support me emotionally and had... They, if honestly, if they weren't there, I think I don't know what I would have done. Um, I definitely am an overthinker, a panicker. I, I, I'm quite, I'm a bit like intense, as some people would describe me as well. But I think when you're in there and you don't have that normal support system that you have when you're on the out, you just don't know how to act. You just don't know what to do. You don't know who to turn to because you're so limited. And I think the women who I lived with, specifically to my room, the large room, I think they had been a huge support. Even just knowing that they knew what was going on and just knowing that you know they were mothers as well and stuff, a few of them, and just that they understood. And my son was only very small when I went in. And it was just knowing that there are people there and it was like just either just talking to me or helping me with paperwork or just telling me like, you know, it's, it's, keep fighting. I'm, I'm definitely, I think, 100% a fighter. I never gave up. I was constantly harrowing professionals down that you need to get this done, this needs to be fixed. Um, so I think we shouldn't undermine the support of people, especially women who are there with us. Um, and what I would advise women who were there last time that first of all it will pass whatever you're feeling do not give up and just make sure that your driving force is your child or children and just know that they will love you unconditionally unconditionally no matter what you think of yourself and don't doubt yourself as a mother because we are a lot stronger than people make us out to be and don't listen to everything that professionals tell you in there Trust me, if they say no, there is always another way. And there is always more. Because, obviously, there are ways that, you know, you can get what you want. You are entitled to. This is your, you know, God-given right. You're a mum. So, no matter what, don't give up. You are not alone. We've all been through this. I was inside for two years. 
um, and even if you're first time offence or you didn't do an offence and you still went to prison or like a reoccurring thing no matter what it is as a mother these children will look up to you and they will love you unconditionally so my advice would literally be do not give up do not stop fighting and it will pass and your children will still love you because that was one of my fears that my son won't love me anymore and we are now stronger than ever and he thinks the absolute world of me um and don't worry if people can't understand that because at the end of the day whether you're religious or not even the universe will give you back the energy that you give out so i'm a firm believer of what you're going to give out you're going to get so believe that you're going to get your kids believe you're going to be able to see your kids and believe that it will all work out and believe it wholeheartedly and the universe will bring it to you it my, my situation itself was terrible because even when i was on a mother and baby unit with my son for about 10 months my separation was the most horrific ever because they just totally made an absolute storm of what they did with me um i had problems on the outside with my son's father and inside the professional but constantly i got basically how do i even use all the right words i got um isolated by staff members um and i was being questioned in regards to terrorism um because of my religious beliefs um and then i got questioned as to why my dressing attire had changed and how i felt about muslims being killed this was when the manchester bombings happened and this was all in front of my child as well he was with me in the room and this, these questions were being asked and i had been like you know treated differently with that um i was racially profiled so it was uh, my son's dad um obviously there's other issues there as well but we were definitely racially profiled and i was treated worse than anyone else then i was told that i can't leave the first establishment to move to an open because that's the way it is so they kept me on a normal wing for about two months and on the day of the separation they kept me over in the mother and baby unit over the weekend i wasn't actually allowed to move straight away so i was still in the same room in which my son and i were and they didn't let me leave for two months i would get ready and say yeah you're on the transfer list and then my name would magically disappear and i would have to pack up and go back to my room and then they put me on a uh a suicide watch book I forgot what they called on report or something someone someone would come and check on you hourly and said that this is standard procedure we check on you because you're a risk of suicide and I was like I've never been a risk of anything like that so anyway I was like okay, I'll accept that too and they said when you're on this book you can't leave you can't be transferred um, and they were saying that the prison doesn't want you the open prison doesn't want you um, when in actual fact they were just literally just toying with me um so when I, in the end i got there got to the open prison and um, they said there's nothing like that you would just turn off on transfer list and then your name would disappear and we would be expecting you we've expected you about five times you just haven't turned up and um, my my eligibility for open was in february and i didn't get there until july when i got so, to the establishment i was at the open prison and then i had social services absolutely ruining me trying to take my son off me I had the previous establishment trying to get me to sign foster care papers and then I had um just I had a really bad experience and social services were not in any way helpful at all 
and honestly I can't even lie the most support I did have was from the women that I met there because they definitely helped me calm, calm me and they helped me see things in a more kind of logical way but I think I'm I'm probably one of many cases that they'd would have had to have dealt with but what was done with me was wrong because I was literally every day every minute begging and writing letters and you know who can I talk to to get support who can I talk to to stop move up the process and so much else had gone on I mean you're really tested there you really are it wasn't what I expected and just I didn't get support that I thought I should have got as a as a young mum as a parent as any type of mum where I was I think that was really heartbreaking I ended up having to go to court to fight for my son because the social services, the local authority was trying to get a um, interim order, which basically meant that they tried to give him away to um, my to his, his dad's parents. Um, and I fought in court. I was there every day. I was panicking. It was a three to four day trial um, where my name was tarnished because I've got a criminal record and you know that she's this person she's that person um and it was the most difficult experience for me because when I was there I saw I'd stood up in a, in a witness box and give witness as well so I'd I had to fought for my I had to fight for my freedom and I was fighting for my son again um so that in itself was really difficult and challenging for me because I had never even had a parking ticket in my life so I had to relive my sentencing for myself and even my child all over again thankfully the judge was very 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 understanding and non-biased that she was able to see for everything and she said that I have no issues with the mum and I actually the the case went into my favour take what you can from prison turn it into a positive rather than a negative if you sit there and self-pity and self-wallow you're gonna you're gonna shrivel up and become a prune but if you use it and grow out of the shits and out of the mud and then you come out you know ready for the world I never got a chance to process what happened for me and I think the first time since I've been out this month for me has been the first time I've been able to actually process that I went to prison so for me it's been a bit challenging um but definitely take the time out and use prison to what you can to better your life for when you're out see it as like a little resting stop to kind of build your future that this is the little pit stop that you're at to secure the future for when you are out and with your kids whether that be support a job education take that time use the negative into a positive but thank you for hearing me out and i hope this is helpful Hi, I'm Donna Walton. This one is called Im at 64 and is a little tongue-in-cheek look at the council life that I live. Where I'm from is pretty rough and so's the folk in truth. Then there's them what act stuck up or walty and aloof. But one who never seems to have no trouble at his door is him what lives just down the road at number 64. I moved from out the area about 16 years ago Pack me stuff and up me sticks with all me kids in tow. And all I heard was if you hear an hammering on your door, make sure it ain't him what lives down there at 64.
I have to say that living here is interesting at least. There's always someone having beef or suspiciously deceased. Though looking back, I must admit, for all the blood and gore, none of it has ever happened outside 64. Now I ain't one to court no grief, so kept me nose well clean and owned me answer of no officer I never seen. That should have been the end of it, me thoughts should turn no more to why the old estate was scared of him at 64. It served me pretty well and all, until that fateful day. The postie knocked and said, "Here, take this parcel, ease away. Then backing down me steps, he kept his eyes fixed on the floor and nodded down the road and said, It's his at 64. Me blood turned icy in me veins, me goosebumps goosebumped too. And if I'm honest, I was scared so much I thought I'd poo. Me knees gave way and down I crashed to me kitchen floor, trembling at the fault I had to knock at 64. I don't know how I done it, but I made it down the road. Nerves all jangled, muscles tensed in full-on sod that mode. Me mouth fell open, laughing, understanding now I saw. A uniformed policeman lives at number 64. Women flip the script. I got sentenced to two years for intent to supply, uh, March 2017. It was very devastating for me. I had a, a young baby, nine months old, and a teenage child that I left behind. And it was fairly traumatising. Ended up moving to an open prison because they categorised me as a low risk. So I ended up going to open uh, being there, I took every single course you could think of for jobs that I probably would never even apply for, but I just thought while I was there, I was going to make the best out of that situation. And if I was going to be away from my children, I was going to come out of this with something. Um, so I did and uh, got a job in the education department, which um, enabled me to take any course that I did want to do anyway. While I was being allowed out on rottles, you're allowed to go out and get jobs and stuff like that. So I started to help organise these job fairs for all the other ladies and invite employers in to get the other girls' jobs because some of the girls didn't, you know, have never had a job and stuff like that. And it was a bit of a boost for their confidence and whatever else. And I did that, but I didn't really want to go into a job that was something that I wasn't interested in. Not only that, I didn't want to get paid and then the prison take a percentage of what I'm working for, which is quite a high percentage. I'm sure it was like 40% or something like that. So I started to research things that I could do when I was speaking to the careers advisor. Um, anyway, I started researching different courses and stuff like that and um, found a course at Goldsmiths University doing history and anthropology, which the modules I found really interesting. Although I've never thought I would, I had the, the qualifications to get into university, I knew that while I was in prison, I completed a, a lot of qualifications, MVQs and stuff, and I thought it must add up anyway. Applied for this course, got invited for an interview, 
got accepted into a university, very good university, Goldsmiths University of London. Through that, I, you know, I'm department rep, program rep, take part in various activities within that university and um, enjoy it thoroughly. I've all changed to a different degree, which is education, culture and society, which I find extremely interesting. Um, It relates to everyday life and, you know, some of the situations uh, that I've been through. I was coming out on day release to go in to my lectures and seminars. Um, I'm no longer an inmate. I was released on good behaviour, they say, on tag and stuff like that. Um, I tried to, uh, when I got released, I tried to, like, find suitable housing for me and my children so we could be together, but I found it really hard. It was... It was a really big task and um, I ended up coming out and being in my mum's property, sleeping on her sofa and stuff and getting a bit stressful because obviously I want to parent my children and want us to have our alone time and contacted various people, especially someone that I've met in the prison. She worked for basically helping people in housing, but she couldn't help me because I had children. I contacted her and told her I was still having like a really hard time finding housing and she put me in connection with another lady who helped me rent privately by being my guarantor and helping me pay the rent in advance and deposit because that was proving to be a real big task for me and although the government were offering to pay discretionary housing payment it would never have come on time for the landlord to accept once the landlord accepts me I am supposed to pay them straight away the local authority don't give you payment like that for home so I had to um, find other means which we did and now I'm like doing my official first year in education culture society and I live in a two-bedroom with my two children my eldest has his own room which I'm so happy and grateful for because he had been needing that space. I mean, we were homeless before we before I went to prison. And there's a few people as well I would say that, you know, like, I wouldn't have been able to do it without. And that would be like my mum, who brought my children to see me more or less every week. I mean, any time she could, she did. It was There'd be odd weeks where she didn't come, but it was understandable. Yeah, the, the education department within that open prison I was in they were very supportive of everything that I wanted to do. There was also women's in prisons who was very supportive in that too because anything I needed searched, you're not allowed to use the internet, but she'd search things for me, print stuff off for me, and it was really, really handy to have that kind of help. While I was there, I also made friends. <laughs> um, I met some of the most genuine people I've ever met in my life, um, which is surprising because I had in my head that oh my God, I'm going to meet some really awful, horrible people and I wouldn't want to socialise with them in the prison. But I was wrong. People that have, you know, had hard a hard start off or, you know, were trying to do things to support their family and stuff like that and ended up doing something probably similar to what I, was, what I had done. But yeah, I think it's changed me for the best. I am a lot better as a mum my patience tolerance is so high now I'm really calm I don't get upset um I don't you know think that every weekend is time to go out and be away from my kids where I think before I kind of took advantage of that and being away from them kind of taught me how much you know when they're not there how much I miss them and how to value my time with them 
it's also taught me about value in relationships as well you know especially people like my mum as a teenager and stuff like that you probably you know you go through stages and stuff of when you think oh you know my parents this that and the other and and even as an adult you start to you know when you get in disputes with your parents you start to you know question things I don't know how to express what I mean but going into prison just made me know that my mother was like my rock is my rock and she is she supported me so greatly in this she even now when I came out and I, I came out of all that I came out of, I think over 21 qualifications from prison um not including the ones I had before I went to prison and she was she said to me how proud she was I thought I was a disappointment but obviously it wasn't a disappointment to her What's the one thing you wish you knew at your lowest point? I wish I knew the red flags and men before I learned the hard way. I wish I knew how loved I am by my friends and family. I wish I knew I'd get this far. For information, advice and support, visit prisonadvice.org.uk. So that brings us to the end of Women Flip the Script. Working on this project has been really enlightening and there are some common themes that have featured prominently throughout. So just to summarise some of the advice that has been given, taking ownership of your journey, whether adopting a proactive attitude or exploring as many options as possible. That might mean asking other women what they found helpful or doing your own research. Approach women's services who might be better placed to support with a variety of issues rather than just one. Speak to your probation officer or whoever you can really before you're released from prison so that you can get things in place. And lastly, if not most importantly, just don't give up. Although this podcast couldn't cover all the difficulties we face, I hope it will encourage the conversation to continue. It's clear that women are experts of their own experience and there is a wealth of knowledge, understanding and compassion between people who do share experiences and similar obstacles. Although the landscape might feel bleak at times, there are also services which are specifically designed to support women both in and out of prison. Advance provides support for those experiencing domestic abuse living in Hammersmith and Fulham, Kensington and Chelsea, Westminster and Brent. They can refer you to an independent domestic violence advisor, find services including safe housing and advocate on your behalf, such as speaking to the police. They provide tailored services for mothers, addressing problematic substance use, mental health support and housing support. The Minerva Centre, which has been mentioned in the podcast, is a women-only service for women who have experienced the criminal justice system. The centre seeks to reduce reoffending and prevent family breakdown. Referrals are usually made directly from the police, prison and probation services, so speak to one of them if you're interested. Aside from specialist advice services, the centre also provides group workshops including in the arts, emotional management and practical skills. PACT, or the Prison Advice and Care Trust, is a national charity supporting prisoners, people with convictions and their families. This includes advocating on your behalf as well as implementing public services, policy and legislation. 
Some of the services that PACT offers include befriending schemes, visitation support, peer support groups, mentoring, short courses and one-to-one casework. They work with people at all stages of their journey, including pre-custody court support, in-prison courses, through-the-gate mentoring and community resettlement. PACT runs the National Prisoners Families Helpline and the number for that is 0808 808 2003. Lastly, Women in Prison are a women-only organisation that provides gender specialist support to women affected by the criminal justice system alongside a number of campaigning initiatives. We've heard a little bit about Women Matter in Manchester and the Beth Centre in Lambeth. There's also the Women's Support Centre in Woking. All of these centres focus on all-rounded support and advice for women living in the community. Women in prison staff are gender specialist practitioners. They provide support across all the difficulties and barriers commonly experienced by women affected by the criminal justice system. So this might include domestic and sexual violence, poor mental and physical health, addiction, homelessness, debt and unemployment. Their magazine, Ready Steady Go, is available for women in prison and online, with some services provided for women prior to release to support re-engagement with the community. Hang on a minute. PACT runs the National Prisoners Families Helpline on 0808-808-2003. Blatantly should make a jingle for that. Ready? Yep, it's really happening. 0808-808-2003. And let's pretend that did not just happen. This podcast was made possible by Advance, Women in Prison and Pact. It was produced by Van de Canton. A huge thank you to all the brilliant women who contributed their stories, poems, music and words of wisdom. Don't forget to pick up your transcripts where you'll find written versions of each episode and information on some of the services mentioned and others that might be helpful. What 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 women women. This is great.